see many people come to know Christ during this time. So let's uh, be about the king's business. If you have your Bibles, open them up to John's Gospel. We are in chapter 12 still. We're starting in verse 20 today. We'll go through verse 32. And uh, the title of the sermon is really a question. Are you living to die or dying to live? Think about that. That's the important question to consider. Are you just marking time? Are you going through the motions? Are you just getting up and doing the same thing day after day after day, just living to die one day? Are you dying to live? Now, as we think about that, we don't really ever discover true life until we come to the place where we're dying to live. And that may sound a little bit strange, but when we consider it in this text, I think you'll understand what I'm saying. You know, there's some people I've met in life that just can't find happiness. You ever met those kind of people? I mean, they're not the type of people that the glass is half full, the glass is empty. And, And they're just negative. And they're just beat down, and they feel like there's nothing good in life. And many people that have repetitive living feel that way. They're in a rut, and you know, a rut is nothing but a grave with the ends kicked out. So we need to come to the place where we recognize that if we're going to truly live, we have to die to self and live for Christ. I want you to stand with me as we read the Word of God. John 12, starting in verse 20 down through verse 32. Now there were certain Greeks among those who came to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn Andrew and Philip told Jesus. But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much fruit much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will also be. If anyone serves me, him my Father will honor. Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say, Father? Save me from this hour. But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore the people who stood by and heard it said that it thundered. Others said, An angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this text of Scripture, and I thank you as we're marching toward Easter that we see Christ in these last days speaking of his impending death and also that he would draw all men to him because he is raised up on the cross. And Father, I just ask today that you open our hearts, our minds, and allow us to understand your truth and to recognize the incredible price that Jesus prayed, that Jesus paid by dying upon that cross for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. In our text, Jesus is giving us a liberating truth. 
And that truth is that we can come to him for eternal life. And the best way to live is to die to self. Because think about it, we are all self-centered. We are all selfish. We are all egotistical. We all fall into that same pattern. And this passage begins, interestingly, with the Greeks coming to Jesus. And they say, we want to see Jesus. And what's interesting to me about that passage uh, is this. They came from the West in the last few days of Jesus' life. And the first days of Jesus' life, guess what? They came, wise men came from the East, didn't they? So they came from the East and the West seeking Jesus. They wanted to understand who he was, and uh, they wanted to have that relationship with him. Now, what's incredible about that is this. Wise men still seek him. And the Greeks were considered the intellectual elite of the day, so they came seeking Jesus, and the wise men came seeking Jesus, and it says the whole world has gone after him a few passages before this, and uh, that is so true because now on earth over three billion people are claiming to be followers of Christ. Isn't that amazing? The whole world will go after him, and if I'm, if I'm lifted up, I will draw all men to me. Jesus gave these men some profound truths. Three things I want to share with you and out of our text. The very first one is this. That's a principle of sacrifice. By dying like a seed, Jesus produced much fruit. And the analogy of the seed is so unique. And uh, through this three-year ministry of Jesus, as he was on earth ministering, uh, bringing people to the Father... He was aware that he was moving toward this point in his life when he would give up his life, when he would sacrifice himself, when he would lay down his life upon the cross. And he was constantly moving toward Calvary. And everything he did, that was in the first foremost part of his mind. I'm moving toward Calvary. I'm getting closer to Calvary. And he knew that that was his entire scope and mission and life's plan was to come and lay down his life for us. And he uses the illustration. I mean, he will die on Mount Calvary, there where, where Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac. And also where in the, in the wilderness, Moses, if you remember, lifted up that serpent. And he uses that illustration. And he dies upon the mountain that Isaac was going to be slain on by his father. And... Uh, he dies at the exact time of the Passover when thousands upon thousands of lambs are slain. In verse 23 and 24, Jesus answered them saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. When Jesus said those words, the hour... He wasn't talking about a literal 60-minute period of time. What he was talking about is this period of Passover. When the hours come, the time has come, then I'm going to give my life, and then is when I will do it. No one takes it from me. I lay it down willingly. Here is my life. You know, there's something interesting in that, though. It talks about a seed, a grain of wheat. Unless it falls to the ground, it can't produce any fruit. Now you think about a seed, the power of life that's in a single seed. You know, when King Tut's tomb were discovered, they found some seeds in there. They were over 3,000 years old, about 32 centuries old. And you know what they found? They took those seeds, they planted them, and you know what they did? They sprang to life. 
Isn't that amazing? Power of life within a seed. And Jesus understood it. He gave this analogy of a seed. Have you ever really thought about the amazing, multiplying power of a single seed? Well, let's consider a seed for just a moment. Think about a pumpkin seed. You ever seen the pumpkin seeds? I mean, they are so small, so tiny, it takes 75 seeds to weigh one ounce. 75 seeds to weigh one ounce. Now, you say, well, what's the deal with that, John? Well, when you plant a pumpkin seed into the ground and it dies and it sucks up the moisture and the nutrients that are there in the ground, it can grow to an enormous size. In fact, in New England, every year they have a contest of who grew the largest pumpkin. And in 2020, a Connecticut farmer grew a pumpkin that weighed over 2,500 pounds. Now, did you see that seed? Can you go back to the seed for just a minute? One single solitary seed did that. It produced much fruit. Now, as we think about that, every pumpkin has over five hundred seeds and that little seed that weighs so little produced something so incredible that weight 2500 pounds is 122 million times the weight of that seed now if you took all 500 seeds that are in a pumpkin the entire weight of that what they could produce would be 25 billion pounds. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? One little seed does all of that. And as we consider the seed of a metaphor, as a metaphor, there's this literal and spiritual application that we can draw from that. Jesus was willing to sacrifice himself willingly upon the cross. He was literally going to die and be planted, placed in a tomb, and then he would burst forth with power to bestow eternal life on all who believe in him. That's the power of life. And that one seed that was buried in that tomb in Palestine has produced today on earth, they estimate three billion followers who are alive right now. Wow, what an incredible multiplication his death has done. What about our life? Are we dying to live that others may live? Are we sharing the gospel with others that they may come to Christ? What often happens is we are afraid to die to self. We are afraid to say, Lord, take my life and do something special with me. And, and, and when we don't allow him to work through us, and to be glorified through us, guess what happens? We begin to just live to die. Going through the motions. Kind of like that old song, I Did It My Way by Sinatra. You know one of the, the saddest ways to live is a self-centered life. It's all about me. To be ego-driven. Now, the second principle I want to give you today is this. It's a principle of surrender. First, it's the principle of sacrifice. 
And if a seed's not planted and placed in the ground, it can't begin to produce fruit. But secondly, the principle of surrender. To really live, we must hate our self-centered life. We must hate our egotistical, self-centered, self-driven life. Because I've known so many people, they thought the whole world revolved around them. You ever met anybody like that? I mean, they think not only the whole world, but they think the sun, the moon, the stars, and everything and everyone revolves around them. They are the center of everything. And they are egotistical. You know, Jesus gives a lot of paradoxical statements in Scripture. And uh, a modern paradoxical statement is, uh, is something like this. Social media disconnects us from others. That's a paradox. Look in verse number 25. In verse number 25... He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now, that can be somewhat confusion, confusing when you read that, but he's not talking about physical life. He's talking about spiritual life. We aren't to hate ourselves physically, so let's substitute for life the word ego, okay? Because that's really what it's talking about here, that our ego... Now. The one who will lose his ego will live. The one who will not lose his ego will die. And when we lose our ego, we'll, we can have eternal life. It's expressed paradoxically in Luke's gospel in chapter, uh, 20, or chapter 9, verse 23. Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So let's read that again. And let's, let's put ego there. Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So let him lose his ego and follow me. And that's what we're to do. Because Adrian Rogers used to say it like this. He said, On everyone's heart there is a cross and there's a throne. And he said, as long as you are on the throne, Jesus is still on the cross. But if you're on the cross, Jesus is on the throne. And I thought that was an incredible way to picture that, to see that. And what we have to do, we have to every single day crawl off the throne, put Jesus back there, and get on the cross. Now, our culture possesses this attitude. I mean, you only live once, live it up. Look out for number one, or Sinatra, I did it my way. And that is a recipe for a wasted life. If you want to discover true life and the secret of a meaningful life, what you will do is die to self. You'll deny yourself. You'll take up the cross and you'll follow him. But I want you to understand something. It has to be something that we do daily. What's a cross good for? Only one purpose of a cross. It's a place to die. That's it. And, and, and what the Lord is saying here is you've got to die to your ego, to yourself, if you're going to live for me. There's a verse that I quote to myself more than any other verse, and it's Galatians 2.20. Now, I want you to look at these personal pronouns. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
And that means we have to take up the cross daily because we have been crucified as followers with Christ. You know what the middle letter of the word sin is? What's the middle letter of the word pride? I. We all have an I problem. (laughs) It's about me. It's about what I can do. You see, when you die to self, I want you to hear this. When you die to self, to ego, you can't be insulted by sharing the gospel because you can't insult a dead man. Right? Right? How can you insult a dead man? So when we share the good news and people wanted to want to give us down the road, just recognize the truth that you can't insult a dead man. A dead man can't be enticed by the things of this world. But God uses people who are dead to self and living through him, and he gives them the power to multiply. I think of the story of Jim Elliott and uh, these other men that were with him. They had gone to the Aku Indians in Ecuador to share the good news, and they were slaughtered. But his wife wrote a, a book later. It would be called Through the Gates of Splendor. And uh, his story would come out in Life magazine. But I want to read this. On January 8, 1956, he and three other men were attacked and killed by the Aku Indians in the jungles of Ecuador. Elliot and a few others to take the gospel to these primitive people. And the story about their deaths captivated the nation because of a story in Life magazine. Jim's wife, Elizabeth Elliot, wrote about the event in Through Gates of Splendor. Although it was a tragedy, Jim was ready to die. In his journal, Jim Elliot wrote, God, I pray thee, light these idle sticks of my life that I may burn for thee. Consume my life, my God, for it is thine. I seek not a long life, but a full one like you, Lord Jesus. And then he wrote this quote that's so famous. And he said this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim Elliott was 28 years old when he wrote that and when he died. We are to take up the cross every single day and we are to remember our life first principle is sacrifice and Jesus is telling them this and the second principle is surrender we have to surrender our lives but there's a third principle I want you to see and it's this the principle of submission the principle of submission when you don't know what to say pray these four words Father glorify your name I don't know about you but there's been a lot of times I don't know what to pray you know, you just, you're a loss. What do you think Jesus' emotional state was during this last week of his life? Right before he went to the cross and endured the shame? We know that Jesus was burdened and troubled. Verse number 27 and verse 28 tell us, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose. I came to this hour. Father, glorify 
your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and I will glorify it again. At the end of the week in the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed and he was under such agony and strain that drops of sweat mingled with blood flowed down from his body. And then he said those incredible words, Father, not my will, but thy will be done. Glorify your name. That's a prayer of submission. Lord, whatever your will is, I accept it. Your perfect plan is perfect, and I understand that the only thing I can do is say, Lord, your will be done. He was so burdened with pain and sorrow that he wept. But he prayed those four words, Father, glorify your name. That's a prayer that God will always answer because it's not a self-centered, egotistical prayer about us, but it's, Lord, through me, glorify your name. Thy will be done. You know, that starts with the word Father. For those of you here today that are fathers or grandfathers, would you ever do anything to harm your children or your grandchildren? Absolutely not. And I'll promise you, his will may not be our will, but his will will be perfect. So, Father, glorify your name. Thy will be done. Now, verse number 28 again says these words. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. God will honor the prayer of anyone who prays that prayer. And then verse 26 says these words. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. Isn't that incredible? How many of you remember the movie Chariots of Fire? Anybody? A few people? Yeah, a few people are old enough to remember that. You remember who it was about? Eric Liddell. He was a Scottish runner in the 1926 Olympics, or 24 Olympics, held in Paris, rather. And he was scheduled to run the 100-meter race. That's what he had trained for. But he didn't run it because it was on Sunday. And he refused to run. And someone gave him this Bible verse, and that verse is out of 1 Samuel 2.30, where it says these words, Those that honor me, I will honor. And he ran the 400-meter race, which he had never ran before. He ran it. He set a world record, an Olympic record. And then back then, they didn't give you your gold medal. Then they, they mailed it to you. Well, he went back home, but he didn't wait around to receive his gold medal. He went back to China as a missionary. And when Japan attacked China, he was placed in a camp. And the whole world tried to get him released. And finally, Winston Churchill was going to have a prisoner swap with them, with the Japanese. But Eric Lydell refused to go. Instead, he gave that to a pregnant lady that she could leave camp. 20 days before the end of the war, 
Eric Liddell perished in that camp. But here is his last entry into his diary. February 20th, 1945, at the age of 43, here's what he wrote. It's full surrender. We're almost at Easter. Aren't you glad it was full surrender with Jesus? How about we fully surrender to Jesus and make a difference this Easter? Maybe you need to pray about it. Maybe you need to give your life to the Lord. Maybe you just, you just need to change and ask God to do something through you. Not self-centered, not egotistical, but Father, glorify your name. Let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, I thank you for your grace. I thank you, Lord, that you do all things well. So, Father, glorify your name today and every day in our lives. And, Father, help us to have full surrender. Help us to give everything that we have back to you, knowing that you do all things well. So, Father, if there's anyone here who needs to come to Christ, I pray today they would come. And, Father, if there's anyone here that needs to fully surrender, I pray they would fully surrender. Glorify your name, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.